0: hi everyone welcome again to real talk with coach t unscripted where we will have real but raw conversations for us grown folks hi audience today you guys are in for a special treat we have dr Makisha mcgee and as you ladies know and gentlemen as well This is Breast Cancer and Domestic Violence Awareness Month and that will be our topic today, the mental health of that, the mental wellness, the physical, um, some survivor skills um, and more, let me say that. Dr. McGee is a personal testimony and also has resources that Um, lacks in our community. So I'm going to let you take over, Dr. McGee, and give the audience some details about
1: yourself and where they can find you. Hi, thank you for having me on the show today. I am so humbled and grateful. Um, As my wonderful host said, I am Dr. Lakeisha McGee. I am a therapist and I am a survivor. Um, my breast cancer journey began in 2018, November. I was diagnosed with HER2 positive stage two, um, grade 7A. And um, from there, life just changed um, as I knew it. I took on, I, I didn't have a choice, but to take on a new um, I don't want to say a new job, but that's that's exactly what it is. It became my it yes, it became my job to um, make others aware of breast cancer, about early detection, about treatment plans, about being a survivor, about um, the ins and outs of breast cancer. I had to become the expert on what it is and how it works and what it do. So that's what happened. Um, I have a nonprofit organization called Heal Her Two Foundation. Heal, H-E-A-L, Her, H-E-R, the number two foundation. Uh, we can be found at org. But my nonprofit is a nonprofit organization that caters to African-American women. And the reason that is, is because when I was in treatment, I saw the struggles that other women were experiencing, the lack of resources, the lack of support, the lack of understanding, uh, just the the education around breast cancer in general. I also saw the mortality rate that we were facing. African-American women die at 40% higher mortality rate than any other race. And there has to be a reason for this. So it became my plight. That's why it's not my job, it's my plight to share information and do as much as I can. Um, I also saw that we lacked support. So my nonprofit offers support, offers a support group for women who are in the, the fight of their lives or have, you know, transitioned out of therapy, chemo, but still are struggling with just the whole process because it does not stop once you are done with chemo it continues on. Once you are diagnosed with breast cancer, believe it or not, you are affected by it for the rest of your life in some capacity. Yes. So that's that's where we are.
0: Yes, that, that is so, so true. Um, as you being a therapist, right? I know people are like, oh, you already got the tools to um, get through this. I'm sure there was that uh, misconception. Um, And we got a chance to talk earlier a lot about the misconceptions of the road travel through um, pre-diagnosis, starting even with diagnosis and um, what does that look like after the diagnosis and then once the treatment does start happening and then as you mentioned, the aftermath of when, okay, I'm done with the chemo, now what? Um, so I want to tap back into some of that, um, the misconceptions of, you know, like, oh, you get diagnosed, boom, there's help. (laughs) Absolutely.
1: Um, Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So one thing for sure is yes, being a therapist does give me a little jump up as far as being able to have, um, some coping skills in place, but the human side of me. (laughs) Breast cancer Mm -hmm. affects me the same way as every other person. You know, I'm a human being and I had to go through the same process, you know, the grieving, the loss of my breasts, grieving, you know, now being diagnosed um, with a disease. The, you know, the first thing I, I share with you today, the first thing that hit me once my doctor, my primary care told me that she had the results back and I was breast cancer positive. The first thing that hit me was Embarrassment. That was the first feeling that I had was that I was embarrassed. Now, once again, here's the thing why was I embarrassed? Right. I've talked to other breast cancer survivors, other women, and they said that they felt that same shame. And the reason is, is because society has put on African American women, this whole cape that we have to be super women at all time that we can't even be sick in peace without feeling this sense of embarrassment. So mm-hmm. the mental stress upon that, you know, I had to get over that. Like, what girl, what are you embarrassed about? You've been diagnosed with a disease that you have absolutely no control over. So- Mm you know that took me through a a process but that was the feeling that i felt in the in the beginning when i was diagnosed was embarrassment the second feeling that i that came over me was the fact that i heard god say that all sickness is not unto death and that you will be okay so Mm -hmm. in that moment once i heard god's voice say that i knew that this was just a test for me to be able to give this testimony to help other people go through this thing gracefully And come out on the other side because you have to have a mentality that you're going to survive in order to survive. And you got to really know that thing and make sure for real, for real, you're holding on to that thing. So I realized that 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 was my new plight is that I had to be the one to, to share my testimony, to go through this thing shining gracefully and come out ready to do the work to help other survivors come on, you know, make it through their journey as well.
0: I want to um, uh, pause right there with what you said, right? You have to know you're going to survive because the mentality uh, actually ultimately leads you physically, literally in how you're going to operate. Um, but I want to speak to your spiritual side definitely helped you a lot, but um, I do know, and I'm sure you could be attached to this too, that some people when they get diagnosed, they get mad at God. So they kind of, Walk away from that spiritual aspect, um, and then, of course, you—you know—I'll speak to the non-believers as well. What would they need to
1: do? So, honestly, um, believers and non-believers mm-hmm. get mad, get mad at God sometimes. <laughs> but yeah. the reality is that you come back to your senses as a believer, and you mm-hmm. say, "Okay." Um, God has, you know, he is in total control. He can do all things, all things through Christ is possible. So you realize that and you come on back to your senses and say, "Lord, forgive me, okay, I'm hurt. I don't know what what's going on. I, I just needed a moment. Now, right. for the non-believer, um, the best thing that I can tell them to do is that you gotta pull inside of you. You gotta figure out something. Whoever you believe in or trust or you know, whatever you do for your solace, you're gonna have to pull that inside of you and pull it on out. And you're gonna have to walk with that thing because you need to be grounded in saying that you're going to be okay. Now for Mm -hmm. me, that was God. For the the, the other person, a non-believer, whoever or whatever that is that grounds you, you Mm -hmm. need that. Because if you have a, a negative mentality, if you have a negative inner circle, you're not going to make it. You have got to have that strong faith or strong belief that you're going to make it. And your circle has to feel the same way. That same positive energy has to flow. Yes. So a support uh, group. I I was going to say, I was going to say, I'm I'm sorry, go ahead. I
0: was going to tell, we talked about your blueprint to the survivor kit, and I would love for you to share the steps of uh, what this up and coming book is going to be. But, you know, (laughs) the steps that we talked about, like, you know, when that diagnosis come, boom, what these steps
1: to put in play. Well, you know, the first thing we just kind of talked about that is that Mm -hmm. you have to come to grips with yourself that this is real. This is happening. And if I'm going to survive this thing, I have to know and believe that I'm going to survive it. I have to, Mm -hmm. you know have to accept this and I have to make some decisions about where I'm going and how this treatment is going to turn out for me. That's the first thing. You know, mm-hmm. the second thing is I would definitely suggest you changing your diet. Mm-hmm. Listen, I changed my diet so that I wasn't eating no sweets, no my doctor. She laughed at me so hard because I stopped eating chocolate, coffee, uh, anything that wasn't good. I stopped, and I was having headaches. And she said, "LaKeisha, you cannot stop eating everything all at once." I said, "Girl, you're a lie." know <laughs> that's you're right, a lie. So you're I had stopped eating. Yes, I had stopped eating chocolate and, and you know the, the, the sugars and the meats and the coffee. And she was like, "Okay, you do have to change your diet." You know, mm-hmm. I went plant-based 100% and I, I just scaled back on everything. But she was like, but you know, you got to do this in moderation. You can't just go cold turkey. I was like, girl, I'm going cold turkey. So I suggest, you know, that you change to a, a plant-based or more healthier diet. And the reason is um, food is processed. Meat mm-hmm. has hormones, estrogen, and all of these other things. And that's for me, I had her too, which is an estrogen-based breast cancer, its fed, the, the breast cancer feeds on my estrogen. So for me, I needed to take any and everything out of my system that had estrogen in it and any extra estrogen in it, it needed to be gone. So okay. even so much so when I went back to the doctor, they were shocked. They said my tumors had shrunk because they, once they did the examination, I had three or four, four um, tumors in my left breast. So they were gonna have to take that whole breast period because it was too... Infected, I want to say, um, yeah. but when I went back after changing my my diet to a plant based diet, they said that the tumors have shrunk. They weren't gone, but they mm-hmm. have shrunk in size. Yeah. So you know, that's the second thing I would say. You know, to do is focus on eating healthier, um, getting sleep. You know, um, stress attacks your immune system, mm. and that's all cancer is. It's it's you know um, autoimmune is it's your body is attacking itself already. So you need your stress levels to be under control. So I would suggest you get some rest and don't let, you know, anything stress you out more than what you can possibly control. You know, just control what you can. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, next, I would definitely say, make sure that your support system is is in place. You need a positive support system. Everyone needs to feel the same way that I'm going to make it. She's going to make it and your your circle has to has to feel that same way you know so um those are the, the the most you know the, the the top things that i would say to start working on and then from there of course you want to educate yourself as much as possible on breast cancer and what it does and how it affects you and the different treatments and the different plans you know you want to educate yourself on that you know when you go to your doctor's appointment take that book i had a book every Every appointment that I went to and if I wasn't taking notes, whoever went with me was taking notes because oh, every time cool. I went, yeah, every time I went, my mother was with me, my daughter, my sorority sisters, somebody went with me and they were taking notes if I wasn't. So you you need those notes because you need to know because you're in you're kinda in a cloud. So you're not remembering everything. You just mm-hmm. it's it's not possible at that time, you know, to get the that kind of news, it's life changing. You're not remembering every single thing. No, so definitely. Absolutely. So definitely, you know, make sure you take notes. Mm-hmm. And for those who go by themselves because you don't have that person, definitely make sure you take notes. Make sure you ask questions. Make sure, you know, you are the professional, the the advocate, the expert on you because mm-hmm. nobody knows you better than you. Nobody knows your body better than you. So become the expert on you and ask those questions.
0: And I also suggest I'll add record because, you know, you can hear something and maybe not uh, interpret it the right way. Mm -hmm. So I definitely suggest taking your phone if you're not big on writing, just start recording the sessions. Most physicians will not care Mm
1: -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. and they
0: shouldn't care anyway, but absolutely, yeah, record. So I do got a question and I think this would definitely help some of the ladies and Mm -hmm. gentlemen, I guess. Um, what were some, what was something that made you go? Because most women who don't, mm. per se have a, okay, like me, it, it's history in my family. So I went earlier than what's recommended just because of the history and family, mm-hmm. but that's not necessarily, again, like you say, the, uh, as African-American women, we're already, you know, underserved in the medical industry. So, sometimes we don't always go or advocate because we feel like already nobody's listening.
1: Right. So, so some of the things that you definitely would look for, you know, the, the common thing is that you feel a mask in your breast. You feel something that, you know, just don't sit right with you. You're like, Oh, that's, that shouldn't be there. Um, if that happens, you want to go and get it checked out for sure. uh For me, um, my nipple was bleeding. Oh wow! My, my left nipple was bleeding, and I kept seeing this brown spine in my bra. And I was like, "What is this?" You know, I'm thinking I didn't scratch it or I didn't do something. And then it dawned on me one day that your breast is is bleeding. Your nipple is bleeding, girl. What? What? What is that? So of course I um, went to Dr. Google and I did a little <laughs> research and Dr. Google said, okay, so either you have an infection and you're going to need surgery to get it cleaned up. You know, your, duct dose, your ducts can be um, infected and you'll have to clean it out or it's breast cancer. That's mm-hmm. exactly what Google told me. And I was like, wow. wow. Okay. So I knew it was one or the other, and I knew it was going to require attention either way. So this was in the summer. I was in Chicago, and anybody that knows about Summertime shy, you know the Chicago Summertimes are the best. Yeah. So I was like, okay, after the summer, and I go back home to L.A., I told my sister that I would you know, schedule my appointments and get checked out, and I did. I did that immediately when I got back, but that was like two or three months later. Now, here's the scary part. I would get a mammogram every August, the August before um, mm-hmm. and the rest of the time, my mammograms had been coming back clean and I had felt this not there. And I'm like, it did not have been there. So why did the mammogram not pick it up? So what I've learned is I should have requested an ultrasound. Mm. We, as African-American women, we have deep uh, dense breast tissues. And because of that, require we require a mammogram I mean a ultrasound. So if you feel that you have dense breast tissue which a lot of African American women do, request a ultrasound because an the ultrasound will pick up what that mammogram did not.
0: okay? So some of them, that's a good, uh, uh, let me um, just break this down to our viewers. mm -hmm. So it it could come back, right? Normal, as you just stated, Mm -hmm. but as African American women, I'll use myself, right? Mm -hmm. Um, I do remember the time where they were like, Oh, it's uh, something's abnormal. So I had to go to something to do the a second scan or something. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking um, when it came back, the second one and it was saying it was normal. Um, it was just some, I believe the word was what you kind of said, like, Oh, that's just a, the dense tins- tissue, something. They said mm-hmm. to that. Mm-hmm. that. Um, however, and, um, thank you for educating me in this moment that I probably should have or, or should actually request the ultrasound because, um, it, even though it came back normal, um, you know, they said it was just that, but there wasn't an ultrasound to dig deeper. So mm-hmm. basically, Now, even if it comes back normal, because I know healthcare has these uh, rules and regulations, right? Can can a person still request, you know, even though it's normal, can they still request a ultrasound? And I know you're not like the insurance expert, but
1: right, I'm I'm getting ready to say that every insurance carrier is different. However, you can request what you want as Mm -hmm. a a member of that medical group, you can request it. Now you have to have your doctor approve it. So you, you know, have to say, you know, I come from a family that has um, a history of breast cancer, or I have some concerns and having some, some soreness or some, you have to convince your doctor to get the approval for the ultrasound for you. And I know it shouldn't be that way, but you have to. and the reason is because, you know, especially for women with dense breasts, there's a higher chance of you getting breast cancer when you have dense breast tissue. Mm-hmm. So, wow. Yeah, that's you have have to. To. Mm-hmm. And this is according to the CDC, that yeah. if you have dense breasts, you have a higher chance of getting breast cancer. Wow, that's interesting.
0: Mm -hmm. Because that's not something, I guess,
1: that, you know, we share
0: a lot of tips, but that, uh, again, particularly to the African-American community, um, I think that's something that should also be in the forefront that, you know, we push that agenda as well. Like, hey, this is, you know, known. So that could be right there where you said that 40 percent increase. That's probably right there. Lack of knowledge, Mm -hmm. um, not having that part component. Mm-hmm. And, you know, thinking, like you said, basically that almost to the year, basically you're, you were normal, you know, from your last one. But all alone, it could have been abnormal, but not knowing.
1: So <laughs> what stage was yours? So I was two, almost three, because I had um, it, it was three or four tumors and one breast one, two. I think it was. One, two. I think it was three okay. and because of that, um, I was two almost teetering to three. So what I was also told and I, I said, you know what, let me let me make sure I'm going to make sure before I put that out there is that cancer lies dormant in your body. That, you know, I was told that the cancer probably was already in my breast when the mammograms were coming up um, clean, that it was already mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. So, you know, um, I think they said five years it can sit there dormant or something. So we, wow. we have to be careful. We have to, we have to check ourselves out. We we do.
0: And don't be scared too. I, I really feel like, cause I know even from a therapist's point of view, uh, black women, particularly more than any race, uh, we're taught to be strong. And so, um, we will not necessarily advocate um, for the things per se that are necessary for us
1: Mm -hmm. um, because
0: if we feel unheard or not validated, it's like, okay, well, I'll be okay. I'm okay. And we convince ourselves that we're okay. And it's (laughs) interesting that you said that even Knowing what you knew, you still waited to even go get tested, which mm-hmm. I do find a lot of us rationalize, yep. delaying, going to the doctor.
1: And that's the worst. That is the absolute worst thing you can do because early detection saves lives. It gives you more options. Early detection. Yeah. So I, when I pulled up... Um, about certain types of cancers that are more likely to go undetected. I am correct. It is breast cancer is one of them. And I do remember one of the women in my book, um, she said, her name is Free. she Mm -hmm. said that she went to the emergency room and she was having bad headaches. And she told them that she wanted a mammogram. She said it had nothing to do. Her breast wasn't hurting. She had no lumps. She had nothing. And they refused to give her one. And I think she said she kept being persistent and they finally gave her one because she said she felt like she had breast cancer and she had it. It was no (laughs) other reason. So it was there. So, you know, you just have to be the advocate. And definitely, if you feel something, you know, if you feel like you're having um, some symptoms, um, request advocate mm-hmm. yes
0: advocate like you would for your children
1: right absolutely
0: yes we we advocate for everybody but us. Us. yes
1: we will go uh. to we'll go through for our children yes. so yes mm-hmm. yes
0: and um, you are the captain of the ship so ladies we are definitely encouraging you um, to advocate um, now I would love for you to talk about or talk to the women right because some people are really blessed to kind of have that support system um, and then some aren't. And then uh, as you educated me, the misconception about um, once you start treatment, right, there is a I called it a gap. But, you know, you you you, you called it, you know, where they're doing a care plan, basically, Um between diagnosis and treatment, right? The, the physicians are doing something. I don't want to say they're not, um, but it's a care plan, action plan of what they need to do to start treatment. Um, yeah. And for so, me, you know, I call it the gap. <laughs>
1: yeah. I, I can definitely understand and see how you would say it's a gap because I find out today we should be starting tomorrow and in some people's head. Oh my God, we should be starting tomorrow. Mm-hmm. It doesn't work that fast. Mm-hmm. Um, Sometimes, like I, I explained to you that I delayed treatment for, okay, I found out November 7th. I didn't start, I didn't get anything done until January 31st. Now I'm crazy, okay, quote unquote, <laughs> because I, you know, mentally and emotionally, I was not going to be able to, Leave. I, I delayed it because I needed a plastic surgeon and my a surgeon, an, on, an uh, uh, a, uh, oncologist surgeon to be in there to do both the jobs. I could not leave the hospital flat. I needed to have my... Um, tissue expanders inserted. And that meant I had to have a plastic surgeon in the room to do that. Well, the plastic surgeon that I wanted, that was also under my insurance plan. He was not available until January 31st. So I delayed my treatment plan. Now, was that dangerous? Could it have turned out worse? It could have. But by the grace of God, as I already said, all sickness is not unto death. So I knew I would be okay. So... In in all essence, once you get your diagnosis, um, you're not going to start treatment the next day. I do know some people who've started as early as a week or two with chemo um, or radiation, whatever the plan may be. But from the time you're diagnosed to the time you actually start there are things happening you know we're they're trying to figure out which chemo medication you should take which plan should you go you have to get your biopsy once the biopsy comes back they need to know okay what kind is this so what's going to attack this you know should we do chemo first or radiation first should we just go ahead and do a bilateral or does she have to have a um 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 lumpectomy so there's something taking place It's not just, you know, nothing there is, there's not just this, you know, gap here. Then sometimes, you know, women don't have insurance. So there does have to be how are we going to get this done? What mm-hmm. services or hospital or donations or who can we get to pay for this surgery? So that does happen. And in that time frame, I, I don't like to say it's a gap. I like to say that we're they're focusing on the treatment plan for the lady or the man. Right. Because, you know, breast right. cancer affects men at a 3% rate. Yes.
0: Okay. Yes. So, well, I'll just say why, from my viewpoint, why I call it the gap. It's because of the mental capacity. Because uh, for me, like the doctors are doing their job, so it has nothing to do with them as a whole. Yes. But um, I think the mental capacity, and, you know, again, there's some lack of education um, when you aren't in the healthcare field or have experienced it that you are, you know, feeling alone. Like you said, you know, maybe. Yes a support group. Um, I definitely um really am trying to start to advocate that you be assigned a therapist, you know, and get in therapy as soon as possible, weekly, um, because whatever it could be, four weeks, six weeks, two weeks, um, that you have somebody to talk to because even though you may have that support system, right you haven't wrapped your mind around kind of what you even said in the beginning mental or acceptance. So you, you can't, you know, get there. You certainly can't even really open up to your support group.
1: Absolutely. Um, And
0: and I, I,
1: I would agree that once you find out, you know, just depending on your status, where you are, what you are capable of handling at that point, um, Ask your doctor for a referral for mm-hmm. a therapist, you can definitely do that. You can call your insurance provider and tell them, Hey, I need a therapist, and someone can get it, or you can reach out to organizations such as mine, you know, that we provide um we provide that wraparound services, and, and in that we do have a support group where you can be with or talk to myself, you know, who's a therapist, who's also a survivor and also, you know, be in a group with other survivors. It is definitely important to get some type of support via a therapist, via a support group. You need something. You need something.
0: Yes, I totally agree. Um, Now, like, let's move to that misconception that we were talking about. Right. That. When you're actually um, in, like you started chemo, right? And there's this conception that, hey, you got all these people now at your disposal, so to speak, to help you along <laughs> with your support group, right? Um, so let's talk to that because it may be some lady right now who's, you know, in that so, or about to be,
1: you know. So let me say this. Um, and it it varies from person to person, hospital to hospital, care to care. But for me, my own personal experience, um, I went to a hospital, which I'm grateful for. The treatment was great. They did their job. I went to a hospital as an African-American woman with the the, the staff. was There was one African-American staff member there. She was a oh. nurse that came some of the time. You know, she rotated. Everyone else on my staff was not. They were other. And No one called me after my appointments to see how I was doing. No one called me to see if I need anything additional. There was no, and you said your team, they did their medical job. They gave me chemo. They took care of me while I was there. They did not offer anything else. Nothing. They did not say, do you need a therapist? Do you have a ride home? Do you, they did none of that stuff. So there was not a team, not a, I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. Somebody with the loud, can you hear that? I'm sorry. It was a Mm lot. Okay. Um, there was not a team rallying around me to say, hey, this, that, the other. Now, what would happen is if I had questions for mm-hmm. my oncologist, Dr. Sarkeesian, he would call me. He would say, Lakeisha, I did, you know, I checked into this and here's that. And he would call me sometimes, you know, if it seemed like I was having a rough time um, because I ended up in the hospital five days after after my first round of um, chemotherapy Mm-hmm. And, you know, because some of the medications were really, really rough on me, um, he would call to say, hey, mm, are you OK? If he knew that I left and I had a, a bad session, I would tell them, have him to call me or something. But as far as like this team that you would think that rallied, No, that wasn't that. No one was advocating for me. I advocated for myself. However, I'm sure there are other survivors who can, uh, you know, have a different testimony and say, oh, my God, my staff was amazing. They advocated, they blah, they did, they did. That, that wasn't my story. So, <laughs> yeah, that, it's not a hundred percent across the board that you're going to have that kind of team.
0: Oh, that's you know, so that was something definitely um, I think we needed to bring light to. Um, but that does not mean you are alone, ladies. Um, Absolutely. Said, um it means like really beef up your support because you are your best advocate. Yeah. Um, you cannot sit in you can feel your emotions because they are valid, but you can't sit in the narrative that you are alone because then you will isolate and then you will make what you're thinking to believe to be true. You
1: know. Right? And, and so let's let's talk about let me skip over to Home health care. So and this is important for you to check with your insurance and even state insurance. If you are someone that's going through this by yourself or just need some additional support, there are resources through the state and possibly through your private insurance that will pay for you to. Get rides back and forth to your treatment now i lived in california when i was you know in treatment so this is what was provided there they paid Mm -hmm. for rides back and forth they paid for homemakers to come and clean and take care of you and help you through it um my my long-term goal is to have a house where women can come after treatment women or men And can come and stay for up to two weeks at a time so that they can have someone there. We can have a nurse around the clock to help them out so that no one goes home alone because it's hard. Chemo is hard and and going through it by yourself is hard. So I just wanted to put that out there because it hit my mind that please check and see what your insurance allows and what the state insurance allows for you. Okay, that's good. That's really
0: good. Um, Because uh, you're absolutely right. Chemo is hard. Now, my mom passed away from esophageal, um, totally different than breast cancer. However, Mm -hmm. uh, her first round of chemo was her last round, actually. Um, Mm. And it brought out, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Guillain-Barre, which was a dormant disease that was lying there and the chemo uh, just exposed it, which completely shuts down the nerve systems where you can't walk and, you know, um, you become incapacitated, basically. And so uh, she was at stage four unbeknownst to us at that time anyway. Um, So chemo really wouldn't have helped at this time. Um, But That was another thing the doctors really didn't let us know that. It wasn't until we were at another hospital, which, again, advocating really worked on my behalf and my mom's behalf for that, um, that I advocated she went to another hospital. Um, And, again, just by me working in, you know, the arena of it, not the expert, but I'm like, "Eh, this is kind of like, okay, something's just not right Um, Mm -hmm. Because the doctor did not let us know that it was stage four, did not tell my mom, none of that. Um, And by my mom kind of being that stereotype, strong woman, um, Mm -hmm. she didn't really, you know, talk about it or push to find out more. It wasn't until like I just stepped in and and I had to take over because I was just like, it's not no, this is not normal. Like you shouldn't just, you know. Um, automatically, like, now you can't walk because of chemo. Like, I do know mm. chemo is harsh, but it, no, I've never seen that. Um, mm. So that's how we, you know, found out about the stage four, Um, which I ultimately really believe that that allowed her to last longer because the care kind of changed.
1: Okay. Um,
0: being honest. Like, you know, so I, I do appreciate the second hospital, um, but I love the fact that we're talking about how much advocating really means. Um, Cause it can be a, it can change from a date to several months. That's how big of change can happen when you advocate, you know?
1: yeah, yeah.
0: Um, mm. But I love the fact that you're saying, Hey, look what your insurances provide because that's another part of me advocating mm-hmm. that I knew she can go to another hospital and get, Second opinion. So that's what made me uh, even think about that, you know, that was an important part that, you know, I knew, um, even if you don't know the language, people, you still can call. And I don't care if you feel like you're bugging somebody, you're fighting for your life. So it's irrelevant of what somebody feels like. And again, us being strong, sometimes we have to put our pride aside and remember fight for your life, not about pride, not about what people, you know, because sometimes we can get discouraged if, you know, we feel shut down or if we are made to feel like we don't know anything about mm-hmm. this and we're illiterate to it, whatever. Um, it can, sh- I have seen where people kind of shy away or shut down because they don't know what you're talking about. Um, and I think that's important. <laughs> Yeah. So thank you for um, bringing that up because uh, I totally even forgot, like, that was a part of my mom's journey,
1: you know? Yeah, it is. Um, So, you know, there's another part to that, too, is that, um, which is something that my nonprofit thinks about and provides services for, is the caregiver. The caregiver mm -hmm. needs a break. The caregiver needs To be taken care of at some point in time, because when you're taking care of your sick, your, you know, loved one, your um, loved one who's been put on hospice or it takes Mm -hmm. a toll on you. So Mm -hmm. you as the caregiver, you need to be pampered and poured into as well. And Mm -hmm. that's something that we don't think about all the time, too.
0: Oh, yeah, totally agree. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, I definitely feel like uh, caregivers are probably the, the most underserved un unserved um, because, you know, we're focused on the, the person who's sick, you know. Absolutely. So uh, we forget, though, as caregivers and, you know, me being a caregiver, me also working in hospice. Um, I see both sides of it professionally and personally that it can become a lot and you trying to be strong or appear to be will overtake you, you know, Mm -hmm. because you're not advocating like, hey, I need a break um, or figuring out how to even, you know, get that
1: break. Absolutely. So good it is definitely important. Mm-hmm.
0: Oh, yeah. I lo- I, so it sounds like you got a wraparound service.
1: <laughs> we do. <laughs> That's what I we, we kind of try to provide is wraparound services for um, women who are and I say women because it predominantly affects women, but men as well. Um, but we try to provide that wraparound services. We try to do support groups, care for the caregiver um, help with transportation. If there's someone that you know that's in the middle of a breast cancer journey, we send her a pink box. Um, we provide um, just, we focus on healthy eating and fitness. So we provide some workshops for that um, along with some other things. But if you go to the website, H-E-A-L, her h e r the number two, foundation.org. We are there, and we also accept donations. <laughs> oh yes, so. yes,
0: that is so important to know. Absolutely. Um, so, for the the guests who do not know what wraparound means, um, because I know sometimes we think words are simple to people who work in the you know industry, yes. but wraparound yes. means uh, from beginning to end. So, her organization starts providing you care from. The day or you, it sounds like you even help them to get to the point of like, hey, you may need to go take this mammogram. You know, sounds like you guys even do that. Advoc- helping women to even educate themselves to go get the, you know, mammogram. But upon yeah. diagnosing, it seems like you have that therapist, that support group uh, for those who may not have that or who may not just be ready to even tell their family. Um, you we have to That's good. You have the support system for the caregiver. Um, You have the journey support during the chemo and post chemo. Right. Mm Because that's the other thing that we're going to touch on, um, because people forget like, oh, just because uh, I know we celebrate the cancer free, but in the mind of survivors and you can speak personally for that, that's still never completely, you know, healed in the mind per se?
1: So um, a couple of things. One, when we say we provide that wraparound services, we try to provide whatever the person needs to survive, to get through the process. That's what we try to do, you know, within the guidelines of the nonprofit, the the services that we have outlined that we can do. We try our best to do that. Um, I have many of Many of times that I've had someone inbox me three o'clock in the morning and say, hey, can I talk? I just need to talk. And I'm like, sure, let's talk, you know, because sometimes it's during the midnight hour that you just really it hits you when you need to talk. So I've had, you know, someone say, hey, can you talk to my doctor for me? I don't know the questions to ask. Can you please just, you know, and I'm like, sure, why not? So that's what we we try to do. What? Is needed what they ask us for support with, mm-hmm. um, and, and you know it, because everybody needs they need something different. Yeah. Um, as far as what, what was the, the second question? I'm sorry. What was the second one? Oh, um that's the, I mean, this, the, nope. I got it. <laughs> I was getting ready to say, see, this is a part of, I still have chemo brain. Like I forget I have to write notes, like tons of notes, because I do forget because chemo will, they they have this thing called chemo brain because, you know, chemo wipes out all the good and the bad inside Mm -hmm. of you. And sometimes you have after effects. So chemo brain is one of the things that still I have after effects about. Um, I also have um, neuropathy because um, when they, they took out eight lymph nodes in my left arm, um, afterwards now I still have, you know, the swelling, um, of that and it doesn't have the feeling It's still numb. And this is now almost, oh, I had the surgery in 20, January of 2019. So this mm-hmm. is 23 and my arm's still numb. So that's something that I'll always have. I also have, um, a little bit of lymphedema. That's when, that's when you have the swelling, um, in okay. your joints, because I still take medication for another two years. Um, and it, it creates aching in my joints and my knees, my hands, uh, my legs would feel so heavy. Like I can barely walk up the stairs with them sometimes. Um, of course it's getting better. But it's still there. Mm-hmm. Um, um, sometimes, which you know, it has it happens that breast cancer it kicks you into early menopause. Um, mm-hmm. I experienced that, so that creates a. I, I can do a whole segment on just menopause. Um, that's a whole nother thing. You have hot flashes. You have, and this is just due to the chemo, not the menopause. But there is just Mm -hmm. a number, a plethora of things that happen after chemo that you didn't know about before. And some of these things make people say, oh, I'm just not going to do chemo because there's too many, you know, risk factors after the fact or during or whatever. But, you know, my thing is the the biggest risk factor of not doing chemo is you die. I mean, if you don't do something, you know, at least chemo gives me a 50 percent chance of living. And for me, living was my goal. It was my objective. So I did chemo. Some people feel differently and that's fine. I not only did chemo, I also did um, plant-based and natural um, herbs and remedies as well. But I definitely did do the chemo and the radiation and I would do it again if I had to, because I want to live. Amen.
0: You do what you got to do to... Survive, you know. I love that you're talking about plant based um, because at my highest weight, I was 300 and I think 23 pounds, some around there. Um, and I went completely plant based, right? Mm, I had high mm -hmm. blood pressure, all the high blood pressure, asthma. Um, had nothing to do with my weight, but it didn't help my weight. Mm -hmm. Um, so that was, but the blood pressure, like you know, out of control and. As we know, you take medication for blood pressure, which also can lead now to dialysis because of the medication. Please Correct. do not stay, stop taking your medication. Please don't. Because right. high blood pressure is the sign and killer. However, um, going plant-based helped me not only one lose weight, but it actually, I was able to, still being overweight or considered morbidly obese,
1: I was able to get off of blood pressure pills because of mm-hmm. plant based. Oh, yes, um, absolutely. Absolutely. Plant based will reverse some things because food is for the nutrition of your body. So, if you're eating healthy and eating the right food, it's going to do what it needs to do in your body. So, you did exactly the right thing and it gave you exactly the outcome that it would. It made you get healthier.
0: Yes. And that is a testimony. So I definitely wanted to just share that even though I was still considered morbidly obese, I lost weight, but not a healthy weight. I still was able, which my doctor was even shocked because I was like, I am getting off. I am not a pill taker. I already have enough uh, things that I'm just feeling like life elements are going (laughs) to happen. So. That's what I did. I told her. I said I'm going to get off these pills, and she was like, "Okay, well, you know, lose weight. That that supports all the solutions. If you need her, lose weight. You know,
1: yeah. <laughs> um, I know a lot of people it, it, that but, that change their diets, and when they change their diets yeah. and eat healthier, it um. It, it eludes the high blood pressure. It eludes um, achy joints. And because the weight goes off, and now your body is feeling better, and it eludes a lot of those different things. So, definitely, um, diet, diabetes. I know people who've gotten off of insulin because they changed their diet and now they're eating healthy. They're not putting the sugar and all of this in their body. So, it definitely can make you better. Definitely. Yes.
0: Yes. So now um, we're close into the end, and I just want to really close out about how the post-chemo, like, okay, you've had your year. You are in remission officially,
1: though, right? So but officially, they, they say five years, right? Officially, they say five years, and you are considered in remission with from the chemo, I mean, from the breast cancer after five years, Um, in in my mind, I don't know if I'll ever just be completely over it because, um, once you've been affected by breast cancer, you're always somewhere in the back of your mind. And that's not saying that I don't have faith. I don't believe none of that because I believe all of that, but you still always, whenever there's time to go get that scan Mm -hmm. to get that, you know, you, you still worry, in some kind of capacity like what if there's something there you know not that you want it to be or anything you just like oh let's let's pray it's not there i should say so right. that's life as a breast cancer survivor you're you're surviving yes yes so what advice and
0: what takeaways would you want our consumers to listen or get from You today?
1: Well, more than anything, I want women and men, if you have some concerns, to get your mammograms, um, to go get a checkup, to make your wellness your number one priority, be the advocate for you because you know your body better than anybody else. You are the expert on you. Go get your checkups, make sure that you are well. And then Listen to your doctors, you know, follow the advice. Now, I'm not saying you have to do everything that they say do, quote unquote, that's your choice. But listen to the information. And at least if you decide I'm not doing chemo, then you need to have a really good alternative to how you're going to survive. Uh, there's, There's tons of research out here about treatment. So at least have a backup plan if you decide that you're not doing chemo but listen to the advice of your doctors um, change your diets that that stuff is so important definitely it's mm-hmm. also important for us to share to talk about our experiences and to share with other people so that we can help someone else you know from your mouth to their ears can change their whole life so share your information, share, talk about your experiences, talk about your experience at the doctor's office, talk about how and what you ask the questions, talk about it, share. Yeah, those are some big takeaways for me is is please do those things. Don't put your health on the back burner. Don't do like I did and enjoy summertime shots. <laughs> no, <laughs> right. now, now let's just just to be clear, let's just be clear, everyone. I am an advocate. I go to the doctor. I for the to my dentist, my I go to the doctor. I don't put off things like that on a normal basis. I was just in another state. I was there for the summer. So that was like, okay, when I get home, I'll take care of it, which I did immediately when I got home. But I take care of my health. I and my children. It's a we all go to the doctor together on a regular basis. I don't care yes. what it is. Headache, dentist, foot it don't matter skin we're going we see every doctor we have to see so yeah. please understand that i was just in another state i was there for the month or whatever for the summer <laughs> but as soon as i got back home i took care of that because it is important and not only that your mental health your mental muscle mm-hmm. is just like the rest of you it is a, a part of you that if you're feeling if you need some mental health get it It Mm -hmm. is another part of you that is sick. It's just like the rest of you that when you're sick, you take care of it. Take care of your mental health as well. Same deal. Yes. See a therapist. If you need some professional help, get the professional help you need.
0: Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's not even about uh, because, you know, there's that misconception about mental health, right? That you have to be crazy. Um, And I also Tell my clients, do not uh, therapy is not meant to be an instant solution for a crisis. Therapy is a lifestyle. Um, Sometimes you just need that sounding board that has neutral uh, viewpoints Um, because sometimes. Although our family, our friends, they love us, um, especially if you're in a position where you are usually the strong one or the head of the family or in a leadership position, Um, it's not easy to be vulnerable and that's fine. So Mm
1: -hmm.
0: you may not because, you know, sometimes I know words matter so much to people that you just really may need that person because that's the space you need to be emotionally safe in. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's not necessarily like that. We don't think you can handle it. That's not it either. But everybody needs someone to talk to everybody. Um, even a therapist needs a therapist, just like a doctor, doctor, you know, absolutely. I love your point about um, going to the doctor. There's a joke my grandmother has about me. She says, I swipe my insurance card like people swipe credit
1: cards. (laughs) Look, I'm with you. (laughs) Yeah. I'm with you. Do you hear me? My, Listen, we will see. We've seen doctors that I didn't even know exist or what. I was like, oh, that's what they do. They, They check your hormone levels. They check. They check check everything. Do you hear me? Because it is important. It is important.
0: Yes. Um, Early detection for everything. I I would rather I always say um, my doctor says sometimes I don't listen. And she says, so why do you come? And I said, because I'd rather you'd have the diagnosis and I could figure out the treatment. (laughs) She's always like, what? And I was like, because I need the diagnosis to figure out how I'm going to treat it. Now, I may go with your traditional way of treating it, and then I may have another way. But I need the diagnosis to know what I've got to do.
1: Listen, I'd rather know (laughs) than not know. I I don't understand not knowing. I'd rather know. That works for me. So um, then I can make a a sound decision about my, my, my care from there. But I'd rather know.
0: Oh, yes. And sometimes we are scared to know. So the one takeaway that I have is, um, although you may be scared, uh, do it scared anyway, you know, because Absolutely. It, you're going to be scared either way it goes, but at least be scared with the knowledge.
1: Absolutely. Um, and where can they find you at again? So, um, the nonprofit is Heal Her Too. So, it's www.heal, H E A L, her, H E R, the number two, foundation.org. It's the healhertoofoundation.org. And my personal web um, address is www.lakeisha, McGee, dot com.
0: Yes. And we're going to it will be tagged when we post the podcast, which uh, we will be posting this podcast by Tuesday. And I don't have Tuesday's date in front of me. Hold on. Okay. Pull that up. Tuesday will be October 10th. We will be running um, specials on breast cancer and domestic violence uh, awareness oh. all this month.
1: Um, I forgot to mention uh, my book. I'm sorry. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I I forgot to mention it because it's a great resource. So the book is called 12 Shades of Breast Cancer. It is an anthology with 12 survivors in the book telling their story. Um, Sadly, two of those authors, the breast cancer came back one after five years and one, our only male, he had fought it Three. This the third time is the time that he finally um, lost his battle to. But it's called Twelve Shades of Breast Cancer. You can get it on the website or you can get it on Amazon. This book is a great tool. Not only do you hear the stories, but you also have a the source in the back that c- tells. Talks about diagnosis, talks about treatment plan, talks about um, surgeries and what to expect and medications, all type of things just to kind of give you a toolbox to use. Mm -hmm. And I apologize for cutting you off. Oh, no, no. You're fine. You're fine. Look,
0: we're trying to give people the resources. That's what matters. Uh, I mean, you both have the heart of caring and providing for people. And that's what, you know. Awareness is really all about. So I appreciate you, Dr. Lakeisha McGee. Thank you so much. Was amazing. Amazing. Thank (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you. No, we appreciate you. You know, you were honest. You were vulnerable. Um, I think you are a wealth of knowledge because not only are you uh, a survivor, you know, you're also an advocate. And you're also a professional. So you have the three tools, you know, that really can speak to someone who's going through it, about to go through it, who has been through it. And for you to share that with people is just beyond amazing because I know it's not always easy. Again, as me and you talked about the strong woman syndrome that we're embedded with. Um, so thank you for being our guest today. Oh, we hope thank to you have for you having, having me. Here again.
1: <laughs> I appreciate that I do and I would definitely be back <laughs> yes all right I appreciate it. it thank you
0: thank you all righty bye okay. folks mm-hmm. we would love to say thank you today for tuning in with your girl coach T. we'll talk unscripted remember if you have a topic or you would just like to be a special guest featured on the show, you never know. So go to all social media platforms, T-Hill Consultant. That's T-H-I-L-L-C-O-N-S-U-L-T-A-N-T. And send us a message. Let us know your topic and your name, where we can reach you at. You never know. You may just be the lucky
1: one. Until next time, have a good one.